Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, insights and analysis from the top minds in crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin. This special episode is a recording of a conversation I had at Consensus Invest with Jan Van Eck, President and CEO of the Van Eck Securities Corporation, and Mike Belshi, co-founder and CEO of BitGo. This was the closing fireside chat titled Financial Products 2019 and Beyond. During the discussion, we addressed SEC Chairman Jay Clayton's comments earlier that day that the main barrier to a Bitcoin ETF was market manipulation. We dive into how well the problem of custody is being solved for potential financial products and what the entrance of backed and fidelity could mean for the crypto space in 2019. It was a great conversation between two minds from opposite ends of the crypto and financial worlds, giving us some insight into how they might come together. Enjoy the show. Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our panel on financial products 2019 and beyond. Um, I actually want to start referencing some of the comments from SEC Commissioner Jay Clayton earlier because he was talking about how maybe a Bitcoin ETF isn't, or the time isn't right for one because of potential market manipulation in the markets. So I just wanted to start uh, with your reaction to, to that. Do you think that that's a legitimate concern? Do you feel like there is potentially maybe a higher level of that than in traditional markets uh, for the underlying products of other ETFs? Well, it's, uh, it's one of the core issues that in custody that we've had to deal with, I think, for getting an ETF approved. <clears throat> and I, it's sort of how do you define what market manipulation is and what mechanism do we have to put in place to get a higher comfort level? And I'm not sure that's really been defined by the SEC. So the process that we're doing to create indices that the CFTC for example, is comfortable with is sourcing prices from exchanges that have surveillance mechanisms in place. So let's say we can source prices from exchanges that represent 1% of the market turnover of Bitcoin. Is that enough? Or do we have to surveil 5% of the market? Or is it 45? Because we'll never get all the offshore exchanges to submit to a U.S. uh, surveillance regime. So it's, it sounds good, and obviously no one wants to participate in manipulated markets, but they haven't been – it's not a bright-line test they're offering to us. It's sort of like fix this problem, but it's not clearly identified. Well, actually, to go back to the indices, because I did want to ask you, what were all the different factors that went into creating you know, what you thought were robust indices? Well um, – We have a big ETF business, and so what we built our index company to support that business is to create indices that are investable. In other words, we have ETFs that trade hundreds of millions of dollars a day, and you need to have an an index 
that an ETF manager can track. For example, you don't want to have an index that's full of a lot of small cap stocks because you can't buy them in size and then you can't replicate the performance of that index. So there's a lot of small coins, crypto assets these days that are not that liquid and the fund, the ETF performance would differ quite a bit if one just um, composed an ETF of those. So the, the real impetus was to create an index company that created investable indices. So translating that into uh, the crypto world is pretty straightforward. We put some quality constraints, liquidity constraints around that. And we felt that that was necessary for the community. So to go back to the financial products, I know that I think custody is another one of the areas that um, is a concern for those that are creating financial products. What are you seeing in terms of that concern and how you are attempting to address it? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple related but distinct points. So compliance and risk, they go together. Um, compliance is the part that your regulator requires upon you for how you deal with things like custody. And obviously the SEC has spoken pretty loudly that um, the types of custody available today are relatively limited in terms of what you would need for an ETF. On the other hand, in terms of reducing risk, we have actually some very healthy uh, custodial options uh, available today. So if you are a fiduciary, you're holding someone else's money, uh, of course, you're on the hook for, for dealing with that money in, in a um, mature and uh, reasonable professional manner. Um, so uh, there we do have some good custodial options. Obviously, that's what, what Bitco is trying to do. We started out as a technology company focused on the core problem of security. It's the bottom most, most important layer of custody, which is safekeeping. Um, and then above that, there's some compliance that needs to be in place so that people know that the custodian that they're using is working with good actors. And then above that, you get into other things about you know, how, does, how do you use that, um, that money they have in the custodian with other services, whether it's liquidity or things like that. So anyway, I think there's a lot of good options. I think the, the regulators are getting closer to understanding what they require of custodianship in different types of markets. Um, I think this part's going to get solved relatively fast. Can I just follow up on that? Yeah. You know, from an ETF perspective, I think the SEC is concerned about the safekeeping, and I agree. The technical solutions are there from, in a very solid and very robust manner. What the question is, how much of the balance sheet of an organization, of a custodian, is going to support? So if you have a dollar of crypto, do you need a dollar of cash over here in case that crypto gets stolen? Well, obviously, that's completely impractical. So you get to 50 cents, so that's impractical. So you get to you know, 10 cents, 1 cent. And that discussion has to happen between a bank that the SEC likes and the bank regulators to tell them what is that ratio. And we're not involved in those conversations, obviously, but that it seems like a long process. And I don't know uh, what, what, if you have an estimate on that or know better than, better than I do. But that, that just takes a lot of meetings. Well, I will say, you know, trust companies also have capital that's, that's held as, uh, as part of their regulatory process. So, so we have that. Uh, I'm not sure that there's a good mathematical way to say, like, what types of assets require what types of, of capital balance sheet behind them. A good trust custodian, uh, I mean, it's not, a, it's not an on-off switch. Uh, how long has the management team been around? How long have you been operating? Uh, what is your capital balance sheet? What's your technology? All these things are factors that, that weigh into what's a good custodian. In the case of digital, I think the, the technology does offer some things which are different from any other asset classes that we've ever seen before. Um, the technology that we can use to secure these actually does have ways it can be an- analyzed that you can't 
apply to fiat or to gold, um, but you can't apply it to, to digital. So there's also transparency that you can actually see it from around the world, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's on that blockchain, and that can't be taken away. And you can see who authorized transactions by way of the signature process. So we have some different elements about digital assets that we don't have with other types of assets, and I think that can change the way we think about what capital reserve requirements are there are required. Totally with you. Te- technology is probably better <laughs> in many ways. The, the problem is the regulatory structure is just, you, you know, many months, if not years, behind. Is, is, is the issue for a regulated investment product. Yeah, well, I actually also wanted to ask, because you, uh, I believe, our BICO has 100 assets right now that you offer for custody. Is that... That's right. Uh, well, we support over 100, you know, chains plus tokens. I think it's about 10 different blockchains and then, you know, a, a number of, of the ERC-20 tokens. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, because I was wondering, so what on the back end needs to happen for you to uh, be able to offer that? And then in addition, is there demand for that level of, um, you know, because if you're, like, I don't know, maybe it's like crypto funds well, or something. you know, if, if we were a custodian holding equities, would you ask how many different stocks do you hold? Um, you might hold lots, right? And you might not have a, a bound upon that. Uh, with the blockchain technology, because it's evolving so quickly, we do have this question. Uh, different blockchains are at different levels of maturity, different levels of feature set, different levels of security. Uh, so all of these things matter. Uh, everything BitGo does is 100% multi-sig um, on-chain. We don't touch, touch coins that aren't that way. Um, and we do try to stay away from anything that's not s- established enough. There's subjectiveness in there. Uh, we talked about price manipulation and, and briefly hit on uh, thin markets, right? So some of these smaller tokens, you know, they don't have a lot of activity going on. I think thin markets are something that are just always deceptive. You know, I mean, we, we like to look at market cap as though it means something, and yet we all know it means nothing. Uh, but it's a measurement that we use uh, erroneously over and over again. And that, that is a form of price manipulation, right? Okay, so in a way it sounds similar almost to the same factors that, that you were looking at. Ready or not, the Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages, and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at cyphertrace.com slash unconfirmed. So the other thing that I wanted to ask is, obviously, we have this movement, uh, you know, with the back end, but then also we've got kind of other headliners coming on with Fidelity and Bact, you know, getting in the space. And so I just wondered, like, where do you think we are and what will happen in terms of financial products in 2019? Um. Well, let's see. Uh, not, notwithstanding the recent price crashes, uh, things have been looking pretty good, right? There's been a lot of institutional investment in 2018 that's waiting to come to fruition. So assuming that that still comes through, and I think that you know, uh, some of those large efforts that you just mentioned will still come through, um, I think 2019 we're going to see some, some interesting positive changes in terms of traction. Um, and I think each one of those institutional offerings coming to, to play leads to two or three more. So um, I've definitely heard from a number of companies that they weren't quite ready, but they're wanting to get closer and closer. I think uh, 2019 will be the year of the on switch. Let's see if these companies turn the on switch on. They'll build it, but then they got to turn the switch on. Well, I wanted to get your take as well. I mean, you've been pursuing this ETF. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I live in the traditional financial world, and if you thought that the crypto ecosystem was over here and then they were completely disconnected 24 months ago, I think there's a Venn diagram where there's a little overlap now, but the traditional investment world is not is not waiting for the on switch. I think uh, there partly is just the volatility of the assets. I mean, we all are in this room are comfortable with very volatile, risky assets because we get high risk and high reward. Those aren't assets that normally fit into people's college funds or their retirement funds. And the wealth management world doesn't really know how to deal with that, and those conversations are very early stages. So it's great that more products are coming to market, but I think adoption will be, will be slow unless you have a bull market. Absolutely. No, it's, it's a long process. It's a long us. process. Uh, there is a, a very large spectrum between aggressive companies at one end, you know, the pure crypto hedge funds that have been out for a couple of years already, to, you know, retirement and ERISA funds. And, you know, we'll keep moving down the spectrum, but it's going to be a multi-year process, yeah. And for you, with the Bitcoin ETF, I know that you've tried to address some of the SEC's concerns to get that approved. Uh, what, you know, what do you make of uh, their continued delays and what do you feel you need to do to, con- to try to address their concerns? Well, I think, you know, we're doing our best. The, the, the two concerns of custody and, and pricing, and I think we've made a lot of progress uh, along with several partners on the pricing front. Uh, I want to applaud some of the OTC market makers that were willing to say, listen, we want this whole ecosystem to grow, and they were willing to give some of their price information, uh, which SolidX had requested as part of our joint filing in front of the SEC. So getting that could have previously dark part of the ecosystem a little bit into the light was, was super helpful. And so I think that's getting the regulators more comfortable. It's just they, they haven't clearly defined when we get to the finish line is. And so you just are afraid that the finish line moves away from you the closer you get to it. But that's, but that's reality. And I think we've made a lot. I think the pricing problem is fundamentally solved. There's a lot of price inputs from a lot of different sources. We can price a Bitcoin ETF. The question is custody. And can you do that like in a, with you know, access to all the different global markets? Because as we've seen, the prices can be quite different in different geographies. Yeah, I think we can get access to enough trading platforms that have surveillance on them, which meets that market, macula- uh, market manipulation test, to get comfort- regulators comfortable, our boards comfortable. Yeah. And I do think we can hook together global liquidity better than we have today. Uh, you know, we still have the world's most decentralized currency traded on the world's most centralized platforms. So um, we can solve that problem, and it's going to improve things quite a bit. Yeah, well, continuing to talk about custody, I actually also wanted to ask, there's been this idea about the trillion-dollar wallet. I mean, you mentioned that everything's going to be multi-sig, but is that really enough? I mean, we've seen in the past that there have been issues, and very recently there was an issue with the copay wallet. So how do we ensure that these are all going to be secure? Well, security is, is a task that's never done. Uh, so you keep raising the bar as you're securing larger and larger assets. So the, you know, if you look back at 2013, you know, the, the size of wallets we were talking about at the large end was you know, $10 million. By 2015, that was $100 million. Uh, 2017, we started to see put p- companies pushing billion-dollar wallets. So the trillion-dollar wallet you know, that we've been talking about is, is a bit of a, a metaphor um, there's not a trillion dollars of crypto assets, so we don't have to worry about that. But the point is, if we want this industry to grow to that kind of level, we have to start working on the security infrastructure now. And uh, there's tremendous research going on. Actually, one of the greatest things about Bitcoin, I was over at Stanford 
uh, witnessing what's going on with their blockchain program, there is more research going into crypto right now than like the last 30 years. Um, it is all of a sudden a hot area. Uh, I think we're going to see tremendous innovation, and it is going to lead to the right security solutions for that tr- trillion-dollar wallet. And one other thing I, I wanted to address is when you get to these weird situations where you have things like the Bitcoin Cash hard fork, and yet perhaps you have a traditional financial product that's based on that, how do you handle it? How do you decide what to do? Like, you know, obviously we saw that the crypto exchanges just kind of halted trading, but in your case, if you had some products based on that, what would, how would you handle it? Yeah, there, I mean, there's some technical issues of dealing with these assets, which are new for the traditional financial world. And it's important for index companies to, if there's going to be money following those indices, to be very transparent in how they treat those hard forks and be very on top of the market movements. I mean, the way we treat them very quickly is, first of all, you have to identify them. So it's a two-step process, the existence of it. And then it's, it's included in a total return asset. So we never say our Bitcoin total return index, but that's really what it is. And so any hard fork has to be kind of included in there because there might be some economic value. At a second stage, we do quality tests, which have to be one of the trading support, wallet support, other kinds of any any other quality types of concerns, and that's when we decide whether to keep it on the in the index on a permanent basis, whether it's whether it's real or not. Um, I I would say what's excited me about this conference, it's my first crypto conference, is the spirit of it, like what Mike was talking about, that many people here understand that there's a long ways to go, that we're very early innings. And yes, the regulatory process is very frustrating, but I think that there's so much good ideas at this conference, it's really exciting to see. So I'm excited for 2019 for the crypto world. I don't know about the regulated world in crypto, but um, I think there's a lot of great stuff happening that we don't know about. Well, on that note, why don't we end with your predictions for 2019 in terms of financial products with crypto or or just crypto in general? Here we are at this Nader price-wise, or perhaps it's the Nader, I don't know. We'll see. What, what are your predictions? Well, on the price, I'd, I wouldn't predict anything on that. Um, it, it could go whatever way. I think the folks that are here at this conference are probably mostly pretty long-term bull in terms of what this technology can do. Um, we're just scratching the surface right now as to like the real benefits about transparency and reduced counterparty risk. So we're in this kind of horrible waiting period while we build up all the infrastructure so that people can trust each other and start to operate in a a way that makes sense, Um, when we do get those things put in place, I think we're going to seriously reduce counterparty risk, and that's when we start to have the real wins um, down the road. I think, you know, I've been calling 2018 the year of regulation because the SEC finally started getting engaged on a number of fronts. I think, you know, 2019, we haven't come up with our adopted phrase yet, but I'll, I'll try this one out. It's going to be a year of singles rather than home runs. A lot of incremental improvements on a lot of different scores, but different projects, technologies, regulatory solutions, and that's just fine, right? It's not, we're not going to, this, this, this story is not going to end next year. Okay, well, folks, you heard it here first. 2019 is the year of singles. (laughs) Thank you, guys. I I think that's it. I think we have time. Or we're out of time. Thank you. Thank you.